Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. After months and months of uh, relatively under-the-radar work, I mean, they've, they've publicly subpoenaed people, but they've also privately subpoenaed people's phone records, they've privately subpoenaed people to come in and testify. All of these interviews have been behind closed doors rather than, you know, out in the open so far. Uh, we're finally starting to see them turn towards what could be um, the public phase of the investigation. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. This is kind of a pivotal moment for the committee. It's been more than a year since the January 6th attack on the Capitol, and the January 6th committee is inching toward finally presenting findings to the public. There's definitely leaks that, of course, you can read from Politico, but (laughs) at at the same time, uh, yeah, a lot of it is very much behind closed doors. Today, Nicholas Wu, one of the reporters covering this black box of a committee, breaks down what we know about the January 6th committee so far and why they're trying to pick up speed before Democrats are likely to lose the House in the fall. So some of the biggest news this week was a court filing by the committee on Wednesday evening uh, where they revealed for the first time that they see evidence of a criminal case against former President Donald Trump. Uh, They basically argued that the former president had committed felony obstruction when he tried to overturn the election, among other potential charges. Uh, And so, you know, this is big. This shows that, you know, they're finally starting to outline what could be the endgame of this whole investigation. You know, they've been... Uh, working behind closed doors for months and months, talking to hundreds of, hundreds of people, going through thousands of pages of documents. But, you know, they're finally preparing to go public um, with their findings here and are planning to hold a series of hearings in the coming months, uh, all building up to a final report uh, sometime in the fall. And what are the biggest pieces of evidence that they have, the most sort of damning or consequential evidence they have? And what are they still really waiting on? Some of this all came out in the filing on Wednesday evening. Uh, They laid out uh, some of these interviews they did behind closed doors with some of the closest aides to the president and the former president. And uh, for that matter, um, laid out documents showing how basically, uh, you know, what the president knew at certain times, um, uh, you know, whether people in his orbit knew that they could be committing a crime or not uh, in their efforts to overturn the election. And so... um, this is all part and parcel of, of what they do know. But some of the big remaining questions here are still whether or not we're going to hear from the former president or the vice president in this investigation. Uh, you know, they, they, they've made no secret of uh, the fact that they want to hear from either of them. But, you know, it's unclear if either Trump or Pence would actually show up if the committee asked right. them. And so we'll see whether or not they actually show up or not and if that ask is made. And the sort of third most wanted, I guess, other than Trump and Pence, is John Eastman, right? He seems to be the key kind of holding all this together. Can you talk about that? Exactly. So Eastman, you know, already was invited to talk before the committee. He was summoned to uh, testify before them, but he went and pled the fifth with the committee and, and basically didn't give them much of note in his interview with them. However, the committee has still been trying to pull at threads on of of how exactly he was involved in this whole conspiracy. You know, he was obviously someone who worked very closely with Trump to overturn the 2020 election results. He met with Trump. He tried to push state legislative leaders to try to appoint alternate electors and so on. And so this is kind of where all of this boils down to this one federal court case in California where this big filing on Wednesday evening came from. 
the uh, committee has basically been trying to get John Eastman's emails from his time uh, you know, leading up to January mm-hmm. 6th. As it turns out, he was a professor at Chapman University and, and doing a lot of this off of his university email mm-hmm. account. And so uh, the committee was trying to get his emails from the university. Eastman sued to try to block the release of those emails, and we're seeing all this back and forth there. And even last night, we started to see the outlines of what the committee had gotten from Eastman as part of all this litigation. Uh, they unveiled emails between Eastman and Greg Jacob, who was Pence's counsel on January 6th, where you, as the attack on the Capitol is going on, you have the two going back and forth. Um, Pence's lawyer saying that, you know, it's your fault that we're under siege and, and trying to rebut a lot of his arguments. And mm-hmm. Eastman, despite all that, telling Pence's lawyer, well, you, you could commit like a minor violation of the electoral compact and still try to have Pence overturn the election results anyway. And so it, 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 we're starting to see, you know, some of what the committee might actually get from Eastman in the end. Just side note, the Chapman University emails are a fun detail of this for me. It's like this really interesting triangle because they could provide this in of emails that the committee wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is kind of the investigative um, approach we've seen this committee take to a lot of it. I mean, you know, when when you don't necessarily have a... uh, you know, cooperative witness like Eastman, well, there's other ways to get the information you want. And yes, the emails are a way of doing that. The same goes with people like Mark Meadows, right? The the former chief of staff mm-hmm. who had been in talks to uh, appear before the committee, but then that all fell apart. And so then the committee has still been able to talk to top aides to Meadows and, and got plenty of documents from him that are still helping fill in the gaps on what exactly happened uh, on January 6th and leading up to it. And you just wrote a story with Kyle Cheney about how Democrats are actually pushing the Department of Justice to look at Trump after this huge tranche of documents was released on Wednesday. Yes, Kyle and I reported that uh, basically Democrats are saying the onus is on the Justice Department now to to look at basically this evidence of crimes by the former president. They're saying that, you know, it could be some time before they make a referral or, you know, before they even wrap up this investigation. But they want DOJ to act uh, potentially before them. And, you know, the interesting thing here is that even though a formal referral has not been made to the Justice Department by the January 6th committee. I mean, they, they, they've laid out a lot of their findings for the Justice mm-hmm. Department to look at in these court filings and, and so on that they could certainly pursue if they wanted to. And another piece that you have been reporting with Kyle Cheney recently are the lawmakers in the investigation are redoubling their focus on their GOP colleagues and seeing kind of like who knew what when. Exactly. That's been another aspect of their investigation here, trying to figure out which Republican members of Congress were involved in the efforts to overturn the election, when they were involved, and you know, what exactly they did. And the committee has made the asks of several Republican members of Congress to come and testify, the minority leader Kevin McCarthy being the most prominent of them. He and the others, though, have rejected the committee's request. So this now leaves the question of what the committee is going to do to try to compel their testimony. Basically, will they subpoena their own fellow lawmakers? And that's a big open question here, since you know there's some fear that, well, if Democrats do that now, well, Republicans could turn around in a few years with one of their investigations and do the same. And so there's still this great desire to learn about uh, what members of Congress are doing, though. I mean, and, and we saw this come out in some of the litigation over Eastman. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, there was another filing they entered in this case where the committee uh, it was was asking to prioritize searching in all of Eastman's emails for the names of members of Congress, among mm-hmm. other things. And so, you know, this is, it's, it's all part and parcel of how they could figure out what exactly members of Congress were doing uh, without actually 
talking to them. So it's been more than a year since January 6th happened. The clock is ticking. You know, you mentioned that they're sort of in a bit of the the final phase or some of the final ramp up. But do you think the committee feels outside pressure to be faster? There definitely is that pressure. I mean, there's certainly some expectation on the Hill that the House of Representatives is going to flip control this mm-hmm. fall. And you know, Republicans have made no uh, secret of their desire to disband this committee and end its work once they take control. And so, uh, yeah, the clock's really ticking here. But you know, the, at least on the timeline that the committee's laid out, of course, that could still change. But you know, basically, they want to, to start holding public hearings uh, as soon as next month do some sort of interim report, and then have a final report, uh, perhaps by the fall. And you know, th- this would really wrap up a lot of their work. And I, I keep thinking about, like, the Mueller report when it came out was just this, like, massive Bible-sized document, right, that was, like, pretty dense and hard to parse through. And it feels like that's not necessarily what they want to do, right, that a lot of what the January 6th committee is trying to do is present a compelling narrative. Exactly. Yeah. Members of the committee have made clear that they don't actually want, uh, you know, some sort of tome uh, to be released by the committee. Right. They want to present their findings in a way that's digestible and you know could actually help break through some of the public understanding of what happened here. I mean, just since, you know, like you said, you know, we're, we're getting further and further away from the January 6th attack itself. And you know, we, we've seen partisan attitudes hardened towards it. And so, you know, how do you break through that? And they're hoping that um, their final product will be something that can do that. In Wednesday's court filing, uh, they revealed that they were interested in holding public hearings on both Trump's propagation of election fraud allegations that he knew potentially to be false and he knew he lost, and also how Trump's rhetoric brought people to the Capitol on January 6th. And so uh, we're starting to see the the contours of the public phase of this. And, you know, we, we can only expect to see more of that over the coming weeks. Nick Wu, thanks so much for talking with me. No problem. Thanks, Annie. Also in the news, the European Union has agreed to give immediate protections and rights to Ukrainians fleeing the war, invoking for the first time a 20-year-old power called the Temporary Protection Directive, which allows Ukrainians to move freely across the EU, gives them instant rights to live and work within the bloc, and offers them access to social service benefits like housing and medical care. The swift and unanimous decision was remarkable, given that migration has historically fractured the EU. And Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said in testimony to the Senate Banking Committee that spiking oil prices triggered by Russia's war with Ukraine could get a lot worse and that the invasion could stoke inflation. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>